everyone, welcome to episode 72 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week we've had a huge week in security updates. Uh, there's an update for PHP, Git, Python, uh, Thunderbird in Xenial, and Binutils in Bionic to cover. Uh, the last two Thunderbird and Bionic alone cover uh, 73 CVEs together so a fair bit to get through but I will uh, try and keep it brief so we don't spend too long doing that because coming up as well I've got a great interview between uh, Joe McManus from our team with Sid Faber who uh, heads up security for ROS in the Ubuntu security team. So they're going to be having a bit of a chat about uh, ROS and ROS2 and uh, I guess our involvement and how we do security work there as well. But first, let's do uh, the usual roundup of CVE fixes for the week. So as I mentioned at the start, we've got an update for PHP, five different CVEs that were addressed for um, both Precise and Trusty, that's 12.04 and 14.04 extended security maintenance releases, as well as uh, Xenial and Bionic, our two long-term support releases, and Eowyn. Uh, so that covers PHP 5, 7, 7.2, and 7.3 across those releases. Uh, there were um, five different, I'd say five different issues. So the first one was that uh, the get headers function would silently truncate a URL that was passed, which had a null terminator, which is you know the zero uh, byte in a string, if that was you know, as part of the URL. And so if you were using a user supplied URL being passed to that, you could end up getting uh, the wrong headers essentially returned back, and you could then act erroneously on that. So potentially introduce security issues. So that was fixed, as well as a stack overflow in uh, the multi-byte uh, string handling uh, conversion to lowercase function, MB store to lower, when it was handling uh, UTF-32 uh, little endian encoded data. There was also a one-byte buffer overread when handling exit data, so that would lead to you know a possible information leak because it would read too far past the buffer and maybe you know act on that data or return it, or it would crash if that's outside of you know the allocated memory. And then finally, uh, it would perhaps create uh, PHP FAR archives with world-readable permissions on files, even if the original files didn't have those permissions. So they were all fixed for PHP. Then we had an update for WebKit GTK, one CVE fixed for uh, Bionic and Ewan. In that case, there was a use after free when processing maliciously crafted web content. And this is the kind of thing I guess we're seeing more and more in uh, web engines and the kind of thing that can possibly be leveraged into remote code execution. So good to see that one being fixed. Then we had an update for File Roller. This is the uh, GNOME desktop archive handler. Uh, in this case, there was possible directory traversal when it was extracting an archive, which would contain a file where the parent of that file was a symlink pointing outside of the archive. So that was fixed. Then we had an update for Git. So one CVE uh, fixed for Xenial, Bionic, and Eowyn. In this case, it was similar to one that I covered uh, last week, actually, in episode 71. So in, in that case, there was an issue where Git would potentially uh, send along the, long, the wrong credentials to a server when you're cloning uh, a repo if the uh, URL contained an, an embedded new line character. And the fix for that was, I guess, incomplete. They realized that there were still some cases where that would still happen with that fix in place. So another CV was allocated and we've rolled that fix in now for Git as well. Then uh, we had an update for Python. So this was for Python in, again, all our supported releases. So that's both uh, Precise and Trusty Extended Security Maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, and Eowyn. In this case, there was possible uh, carriage return or line feed injection if an attacker could control a URL parameter that was passed uh, to the URL open function in URL lib. 
then we had an update for Thunderbird. So uh, there was 39 CVEs fixed in this, so a huge uh, update. Uh, thanks in particular to uh, the folks on the desktop team. So uh, as I say, 39 different CVEs. This was updating five, uh, sorry, updating Thunderbird to the latest upstream release, which is 68.7.0. Uh, it's been a bit of a long time coming for Xenial because this also needed uh, some newer uh, build dependencies to come along with it and basically includes a lot of fixes for things that we've seen previously in Firefox because Thunderbird and Firefox share a lot of the same uh, underlying code base. And finally, to wrap up the week in security updates, we had an update for uh, GNU bin utils. So this is, a, I guess, a huge collection of uh, utilities, often around things like um, parsing different binary formats, like ELF binaries and things like that. Um, big thanks to Mark Delorier for handling this. Uh, say 44 CVEs were covered for this uh, for our Bionic, which is 1804 long-term support release. Uh, a lot of these were low severity issues, so things like memory leaks, you know, if it was handling, you know, say, say you've got some command line utility and you pass it something, it will allocate you know, too much memory and it will leak memory, but then, you know, the thing's going to exit anyway, so it doesn't necessarily cause any huge issue, or maybe um, it's a utility that's expected to be parsing, you know, handling trusted input, like, you know, trusted binary files or things like that, that would then, you know, maybe crash or a null pointer dereference. So not, not hugely um, high severity issues, which is why I guess this has been a long time coming but it is something that customers have requested so we often get requests from customers where they have run a particular vulnerability scanner uh, whether that's even things like um, our own cve scan tool or whatever that um, will report there's a heap of unfixed cves in uh, in the binutils package and again that's because a lot of these were low priority um, not really likely to be anything that would impact you or that even if someone could leverage they can't really turn it into anything uh, as a proper exploit uh, but it is something that you know people do uh, ask about and so yeah we have finally got that out the door so thank you very much in particular to mark for handling that for us all right that covers this week in security updates so as i mentioned at the start uh, joe mcmanus the director of the security team had a great chat with sid faber from the Ubuntu security team about ros and about i guess the team's involvement with ros and the security work that we are doing with the ros community as well Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining another Ubuntu Security Podcast. And we have a special guest today. We have Sid Faber from the Ubuntu Security team, and he is specifically working on robotic security. Hi, Sid. Hey, Joe. Thanks a lot for inviting me. This is, uh, is going to be a lot of fun. So Sid and I actually go uh, back quite a ways. We worked together at CERT at Carnegie Mellon 14 years ago or more uh, for quite some time. And um, and now it is great to have you on the uh, on the Ubuntu security team helping out with uh, securing the future of robotics. You know, Joe, it's it's been really neat joining the team. Um, I got to say, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in security. Uh, I kind of worked my way up to uh, a CISA role at a large financial here in the U.S. Um, and I got the uh, amazing opportunity to work with the robotics team uh, in, in, at Canonical uh, as we're striving to get security just foundational to everything that's in robotics. So it's been real exciting uh, kind of career shift uh, as well as to watch the whole robotics security field just grow at a tremendous pace. 
So that, that's actually, um, I guess I should say, why are we doing this? Why is a Canonical and Ubuntu involved with robotics? It's because ROS, the robotics operating system, is built on Ubuntu. So um, now there's a big shift uh, going from ROS 1 to ROS 2. And I'm wondering, Sid, if you could tell us a bit about the security model of ROS 1 and then how that's improved upon in ROS 2. Sure, Josh. There's a ton of changes between ROS 1 and ROS 2. ROS 1 has a long history. It's been around for over a decade. Um, and it's it's got its roots in a, you know academic uh, setting. Uh, I think the community saw a lot of adoption uh, for ROS 2. Uh, in industry uh, and a lot of commercial need for it. And that drove a lot of the uh, need to redesign a, the, much of the whole robotic operating system. So we see in ROS2 a lot of designs, but a lot of that actually also is driven by the needs to secure your robot. Um, I'm always a networking guy, so I always fall back to uh, some of the core networking changes. ROS1 is hub and spoke. Um, it's XML over R. Uh, XML, um, what's that? XML RPC. Yes. Um, so, um, uh, you know, very kind of old fashioned technology, whereas ROS2 uh, networking leverages DDS, uh, which is a, a fairly robust and fairly new uh, network protocol. Uh, new in that it's not from the 70s and 80s, right? Um, <laughs> And, uh, and it actually has uh, secure features built into it native to the protocol. So it's pretty exciting to see ROS shift into there. Uh, it's such a fundamental shift that uh, it's taken a bit of time, uh, but it seems like it's pretty stable right now. So I used to do a, a lot of IoT development. And when I was doing that, I did it uh, using MQTT just because that was the hot thing in IoT. And it, it made sense because you could do, um, was it... Um, I can't remember, I think it's last message before, uh, I think it's called like last message before death or something like that. So it had a bunch of neat um, options for, you know, sort of queuing small messages up. Um, but DDS is, is a separate implementation. It's not quite MQTT, but it's solving a similar problem of, of disparate sensors talking to each mm -hmm. other. So uh, when I think of MQTT, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's largely on HTTP. Uh, it yeah. lives on top of HTTP mm -hmm. protocols for exchanging and so on. Um, so um, just different. Uh, DDS is uh, very much more driven as a uh, pure pub sub. It's got built-in uh, message discovery features. The interesting thing, too, is it's got secure message discovery features. Um, so um, if I think MQTT... Um, am I right in saying that given that it's HTTP protocol, if I want to secure it, I just do SSL and I do yeah. standard certificate exchanges? So MQT, yeah, so so then your um, DDS is, is much more robust in that um, uh, although you still have certificate exchanges, you can actually choose which parts of the message you want to encrypt. You can choose different policies so that you can run encrypted and unencrypted messages based on the message type. So just a lot more, uh, a lot more flexibility built into how you want to en encrypt, only encrypt uh, as well as authenticate and leave other things in plain text. Okay, very cool. And then, um, okay, so ROS2 is built on DDS um, and DDS solves a security problem through encryption. And that's where I think what we're seeing a lot of 
um, people thinking that's where you stop at security on robotics. But clearly, that's not the case, right? There's more than just encrypting your network traffic. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, and this, uh, the, I'd like to draw an analogy to back in the good old days when the internet was young, uh, and we thought uh, internet security meant uh, putting SSL on your website. We've learned so much since then. Um, there's similar parallels in robotics. So we definitely have to solve the encrypting network traffic problem. Um, and again, DDS helps us with that. But there's a lot more pieces to encrypting uh, or to securing a robot. Uh, you have things like uh, making sure simply that you patch the robot. Um, and that in itself raises challenges because, you know, if you're running a drone, you don't want to patch a drone while it's flying. You want to wait until it lands, right? So, um, so patching and updating uh, and dynamic updating is a thing. Locking down your operating system. You know, ROS runs on Ubuntu. Uh, so how do I secure that operating system, uh, the parts of it that, that can be secured? What parts do I have to make more lax for the operating system to run? Um, and then you've got the whole host of other security concerns, your supply chain, secure coding, and so on and so on. So all that kind of fits into uh, building a secure robot platform. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's not to different from, let's say, doing a standard security approach to your cloud application. But the difference is that you have a robot that's moving around that can cause physical damage. So you do have to consider a few things. You know, it would be if you think about something that's, uh, you know, a warehouse robot that's driving a, a, a shelf around, you want to make sure that no one can easily override your sensor to say, you know, I've seen this object, now I'm going to stop. You want to make sure that that can't be easily compromised. So, you know, that's with your code. And then you've got, you know, most of these devices, when you sort of on first boot, they bring up a web interface where you configure it, right? Because they, they don't expect you to put a keyboard and mouse on it. So you bring up a web interface, you add it to your Wi-Fi network, you put passwords on it, do whatever changes you need to do. And you know, when, when we've gone into warehouses and looked at things, I've often found that They've never changed the default password from what the manufacturer shipped, things like that. Things you'd see like back in the day when you'd run Nessus in a uh, enterprise and you'd see Oracle still, and, you know, people had installed Oracle and left the password. Um, was it Scott and Tiger? And uh, I think, um, was it like SQL Server had like Sys and DBA? And then, um, you know, you'd have, you know, admin, admin, and all, a bunch of different places like that. So we used to make sure that stuff, those basic security fundamentals are still applied. Um, and, you know, things like firewalls and even just like SSH guard, you know, so things to protect you against brute force password attacks. Like that's really important on a robot that's driving around a floor that can do things. You know, it, it, absolutely. It's all about the fundamentals, isn't it? Um, you know, I've talked to some of my friends that um, have done pen, test, pen testing, red teaming against organizations that have robots. Um, almost all of them approach robots in one of two ways. Um, Either they completely ignore the robotics network, um, or um, it's treated just as its own separate enclave, and you look just at that part of the network. But Joe, I think one thing that's really exciting about what we see with ROS and robotics in general is the diffusion of robots into the workplace. Um, so when you think about uh, going to Starbucks and having you know uh, your coffee shop deliver your coffee with a robot, that robot is probably gonna be on the same network that the point of sale terminals are on because mm -hmm. they've got 
connected. So they have to be connected in the same way that I now know to secure my, my cash registers and so on. There's another interesting um, trend in robotics uh, where historically your robot might be put behind a wall so that your safety concerns weren't so great because nobody would go into that area. So the robot wouldn't be able to hurt them. But now you see more of what's called the, the cobot where you have a robot and a person working together. So maybe a person loads a part that's a complex task to load it, and then the robot works on it. So we see them working together. All this drives the need to secure the robot, to create a secure platform, just like you do anything else in the IT space. Exactly. I mean, all, all really good points. Um, you know, I think I think your example of the, the robot being on the same network as the point of sale machine, that just, shows how these are sort of getting a little more accepted. They're not, they're not treated quite like a skated network, which you used to see in the past would be every intention to have to be air-gapped. Rarely were they actually done that. It was some VLAN that was poorly configured and it was actually not isolated at all. But, we're, but now we're kind of accepting with the robot, they're mobile enough, they're on a Wi-Fi network, probably the same Wi-Fi network as the scanners in a warehouse, or if you're thinking about a hospital, they're in the same network as um, the other devices maybe with the, um, other medical devices they have there. So they need to be secured and resilient to attack from other infected devices on the network. But cool. I know there's like, we could talk way more about this, Sid, but I think people are going to want to stop listening to us. Um, but if you haven't, we've got a bunch of um, how to's and getting started in the Ubuntu blog series. Um, you can buy uh, anything, you know, multi-thousand dollar robots or $20 robot kits that involve a cardboard box and toy wheels. And you can drive a robot around and start to get involved with robotics. So absolutely. And it's a lot of fun. It's, it's so much fun to see your code actually make an effect in the real world. So um, it's oftentimes you don't see that. You just have it on the screen, but actually to see it walking around the floor or whatnot um, tends to be a lot of fun. And it's easy, easy to get into. Awesome. Well, Sid, thanks for joining us. Um, if anybody has any questions, you can always reach us on our Twitter, which is Ubuntu uh, uh, Security, or you can send an email at security at ubuntu.com, and we're happy to chat with you. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you. And thanks very much, Joe and Sid, for that. All right. Uh, that takes us to this, the end of this week's episode. Uh, just one thing I want to note. Uh, this week is the uh, release of Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support, Focal Fosa. Uh, thanks, everyone, for on you know, the Attic Canonical and the Ubuntu community for working on it. It's shaping up to be a fantastic release. Probably by the time you are listening to this, it will already be out the door. So I urge you to uh, give it a go. Um, but yeah, uh, we will now be supporting that going forward for, as a security team. So we will be doing security updates for that as well. So expect me to be mentioning that a lot in upcoming episodes. And as is usual, next week then is the uh, next development cycle's uh, first product sprint. So a bunch of the members of the team will be attending that, although virtually this time. So this would have been a trip to Vienna, but with the world basically not traveling, uh, we're all doing this remotely. So going to be some weird time zones next week. So uh, I, I don't think we'll have an episode of the podcast next week. Uh, we'll see what we can do. But yeah, don't don't necessarily expect one. But uh, we'll do one the week after, certainly. And hopefully be able to give some more details on what will be coming up in uh, from the security team's perspective in the development of Ubuntu 2010, which will be the next release after Focal Flow. So when that comes out uh, any minute now. 
All right, um, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the security team, you can reach us at security at ubuntu.com or if you want to chat to us over IRC, you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on uh, irc.freenode.net. We also have the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com and finally, we are on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec and any feedback you have, as Joe mentioned, we would love to hear it from you. All right, as I said, thanks everyone again for listening for this week. I will chat to you again soon, but until then, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.